places. Everyone. We're now broadcasting. Roll the tape in. Three, two. A new audio drama. Appaloosa Radio is where stories come alive. Appaloosa Radio offers Hack, a fictionalized docudrama. This is Armed Forces Radio. Detachment 3. Originating from Fort Meade, Maryland. you enjoyed a bit of Bob Wills and his Texas Playboys to start us off. This is Lieutenant Floyd Brenner the host of Talk To Me. A service of the Armed Forces Radio Service, Detachment 3.
originating from Fort Meade, Maryland, and this time, I am pleased to be talking with one of the true greats of baseball, Mr. Hack Wilson. Welcome to the broadcast, Mr. Wilson. Glad to be here. I wish to extend a special greeting to all the service members fighting overseas. America is proud of you. Mr. Wilson. Oh, please call me Hack. Much prefer it to Mr. Wilson. Of course. Glad to. Hack, it has been 10 years since you retired from baseball. What are you now doing with your time? Well, I am now working for the great city of Baltimore. I manage the public plunge and teach kids how to swim. Sounds like a productive activity. It keeps me busy, especially during the summer. Hack, is it true that you were once paid more than Babe Ruth? Yes. During the 1930 season, the Chicago Cubs paid me more than him. But the very next year, Ruth asked to have his contract renegotiated and he was given a really big raise. Let's talk about your 1930 season. I have heard it described as the greatest season ever for a National League player. Well, thank you for the nice compliment. I did have a good season. I led the league with a 356 average. I also hit 56 home runs and had 191 runs batted in. I also scored 146 runs and drew 105 walks. However, for the fourth season in a row, I also led the league in strikeouts. If I remember correctly, Almost all your strikes were swinging strikes. You had a reputation for going for the fences, never taking a strike. Excuse the pun, but you always took a hack at it. Good pun. I always felt there was no point coming up to bat and leaving the stick on my shoulder. Almost all of my walks were intentional walks because the other team didn't want me to hit. How did you get the nickname Hack? Well, look at my body. On a really good day, I may reach 5 feet 5. I have little skinny legs. Like a stork but really short. My feet are tiny. Just a size 5, tiny and narrow. Skinny short legs. Tiny feet. But a massive chest and shoulders. Yes. Exactly. I quit school when I was 15 and spent 4 years swinging a 10 pound sledgehammer for 12 hours a day at the locomotive factory. Really developed my upper body. When I joined the semi-pro team in Martinsburg, West Virginia, I took off my shirt to put on my uniform and one of the other players said my arms and chest were the same size as those of the world's strongest man, who was also a professional wrestler, the former world champ. Back then, everybody knew him. His name was Hockenschmidt and he wrestled under the nickname, The Russian Lion. As I said, everybody knew him. He was really popular. Did you ever measure your arms and your chest? Were they the same size as the wrestlers? They did measure me. And it turns out that I was an inch bigger in the chest and a half inch bigger in my arms. Anyway, everyone started calling me Hack. The name stuck. I would rather be Hack than Lewis. I understand that you began your career as a catcher. That's true. I am built like a catcher, and I liked calling the pitches. Why did you switch to the outfield? I broke my leg sliding into second base. I thought it would end my career. If it wasn't for my wife Virginia, I would have quit the game. 
she pushed me to try it again. I did and eventually John McGraw of the New York Giants purchased my contract, and I joined the major leagues. I want to ask you about your broken leg. I read someplace that your leg never healed properly, and that it hurt when you tried to run. Yeah, that's true. I never told anybody because I didn't want it to impact my career. But, in truth, it always bothered me. I just played with it hurting. I got paid lots of money and I didn't want to let my teammates down. I want to ask you about the 1929 World Series which pitted your Chicago Cubs against the Philadelphia Athletics coached by Connie Mack. Probably both the highlight of my baseball career and also the worst moment of my life. I grew up in San Diego and I remember listening to some of the series on the radio. I remember the announcer saying that it was so unusual that Connie Mack did not start the best pitcher in baseball. Instead of starting Lefty Groves, Mack started a guy who had been injured for almost the entire season. I wouldn't call it unusual. I'd call it baseball smart. Inky, he was the guy Connie Mack used for game one of the series in Chicago. This guy liked to throw a sinking scroogey. Inky was a guy who liked to put stuff on the ball. But the plate umpire was from the American League and never called him on it. The guy got 13 strikeouts. Got me two times. He threw it low and slow, but it had a wiggle. We only got one run off him. On an infield error. Lost it 3-1. to one. In game 2, we saw plenty of lefty groves. That man was one great pitcher. He came in during the fourth inning because their starter got knocked around a lot. Once he came in, our bats went quiet. I got a single in the seventh inning, but we couldn't get any runs off him. So your Chicago Cubs were down two games to zip and then you went back to Philadelphia? Yeah. Our guy Bullet Bush throws a great game and we win game three. So it is two to one. You are in Philadelphia. It is game four. Tell us what happened. I still get a headache thinking about it. I believe that Connie Mack continued with his strategies of starting only right-handed pitchers. Yeah. In Game 4 he started an old tender who had been in the league for 25 years, but he just didn't have any sauce. We hit him pretty easy. We had 7 runs before Philadelphia pulled him during the 6th inning. Then we got another run in the top of the 7th. So, the Chicago Cubs were leading 8 runs to nothing going into the bottom of the 7th inning. Philadelphia was a really good hitting team. In the bottom of the 7th inning, we got one out, but then they started hitting. Everybody was hitting. Whatever pitch we threw at them, they hit. Curved balls. Wizards. Scroogies. It was like batting practice for them. So an 8-run lead became a 4-run lead. Yeah. By then the wind was blowing and the clouds came in. We were just praying for Patton alone, our pitcher, to get somebody out. Just get a ground out. Doesn't have to be a strikeout. Just get outs. Then, Mule Haas came up. There were two guys on base. Our pitcher got two quick strikes on him, then Haas hits one straight up in the air. Should have been an easy catch, 
I had made thousands of catches that were that easy. But the wind caught it. I've always heard that you lost the ball in the sun. That the sun suddenly came out from behind a cloud and blinded you. That's true. The sun did come out just as Haas hit the ball, but I still saw it. At least well enough to keep it as a single. No, it was the wind. It seemed to stop right in midair and then speed away. I went one way and it went another. The fly ball went over your head and kept rolling and rolling. By the time I got to it and made my throw, Mulehaus already had an inside the park home run. That fly ball brought in three runs. The first inside the park home run in a World Series since 1896. And there hasn't been another since. But that home run, as memorable as it was, only made it 8-7. to seven. The Chicago Cubs still had the lead. Our guys gave up another three runs before we could get two more outs. Philadelphia brought in Lefty Groves and he cruised through the final two innings. They won the game 10-8. A lot of people blamed you for losing the series. What are your thoughts about that? Well, messing up on that fly ball was the worst mistake of my career. But, in truth, I now don't think that losing the series was all my fault. People forget how great the Philadelphia Athletics were, really a great baseball team. Remember in 1929, they had won the American League by 18 games. And that was when the vaunted New York Yankees had Lou Gehrig and Babe Ruth. Six of their regular guys had a batting average over 300. And they had Lefty Groves, the best pitcher in baseball. Connie Mack, he was both the team's owner and the manager. He was a really crafty guy. Using only right-handed pitchers. Really smart. The newspaper reporters were really hard on you. If you are going to play the game, then you'll get criticized. The Chicago papers weren't too bad. The New York papers. Now, they were rough. I remember one said that I ran like an old man with a trunk on my back. Another said I looked like a keg of beer, probably the one that I drank the evening before the game. I remember reading that they even wrote a song about you. Yeah. That one was pretty funny. They put it to the tune of my old Kentucky home. It began the sun shone bright into poor Hack Wilson's eyes. Want me to sing it? No need to. I would like to change topics if you don't mind. Hack, I want your honest opinion why your baseball career ended far earlier than most people thought it would. Just four years after being the highest paid player in the game, your career was over, and you were forced to retire. Well, Lieutenant. Some of it, for sure, had to do with booze. I always drank more than I should. I started drinking beer when I was 13 and just never stopped. Not just a bottle or two now and again, but a pretty fair amount. You know that was still prohibition, so to drink, you had to go to clubs, speakeasies they called them. And the liquor they served was none too good. It was called rotgut because it rotted your guts. Probably another reason was my relationship with Rogers Hornsby, who was playing second base when we both played for the Chicago Cubs. One afternoon, 
We came in and were told that Joe McCarthy had been fired and that Rogers Hornsby would now be both a player and the team's manager. Well, to be honest, Hornsby and me were teammates, but we never really got along. He was from Texas and he never drank or smoked or went to movies. Me? Well, I did all three. Where we really differed was on our approach to baseball. Joe McCarthy always told me to go up to the plate and have a hack on it. It did not bother him that I struck out a lot. I was like Babe Ruth. I had strikeouts, yeah, but I also had power. And my power could quickly change a game. Hornsby hated strikeouts. His thing was to advance the runner. Forget the home run. Make contact. Advance the runner. He told me to tighten up my stance and point the ball. He told me to move close to the plate and let the pitcher hit me. A hit batter was as good as an actual hit. It got you on base. Not my view of how to play baseball. Finally, remember they changed the baseball itself to make it harder to hit. They made it heavier, and they made the stitches stick out more. One of the things that I always did really well was to see the ball. I could trace its path and anticipate where it would cross the plate. That made me a good hitter. Seeing the ball. After they changed the baseball, pitchers threw more curve balls than fast ones. I could not see the curve balls as well as I could see the fast zingers. Now, years later, I have learned that I have astigmatism. That's why my average fell from 356 to just 261. Pitchers gave me a diet of curve balls kept feeding me bends and breaks. Nothing faster than a snail crossing the road. I want to ask you about your manager, Joe McCarthy, and his famous Ten Commandments of Baseball. Could you recite them for our radio listeners? Glad to. Manager Joe McCarthy's Ten Commandments of Baseball. 1. Nobody ever became a ball player by walking after a ball. 2. You will never become a 300 hitter unless you take the bat off your shoulder. 3. An outfielder who throws in back of a runner is locking the barn after the horse is stolen. 4. Keep your head up and you may not have to keep it down. 5. When you start to slide, slide. He who changes his mind may have to change a good leg for a bad one. 6. Do not alibi on bad hops. Anyone can feel the good ones. 7. Always run them out. You never can tell. 8. Do not quit. 9. Try not to find too much fault with the umpires. You cannot expect them to be as perfect as you are. 10. A pitcher who hasn't his control hasn't anything. Before you leave us, do you have any advice for our listeners? Yes. There are kids, in and out of baseball, who think because they have talent, they have the world by the tail. It isn't so. In life you need things like good advice and common sense. Kids, don't be too big to take advice. Be considerate of others. That's the only way to live. What great advice. Thank you, Mr. Hack Wilson for being our radio guest on Talk To Me, a broadcast service of the Armed Forces Radio Service, Detachment 3. Originating from Fort Meade, Maryland. I am Lieutenant Floyd Brenner, your host.
Be brave. Be strong. Know that your country is praying for you. This is Armed Forces Radio. Detachment 3. Originating from Fort Meade, Maryland. Recorded July 27, 1944. <laughs> Baseball Biography Hack Wilson A Brief Biography In 1979, Lewis Robert Hack Wilson was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame by a vote of the Veterans Committee. Wilson played for the New York Giants. 1923-25, the Chicago Cubs, 1926-31, the Brooklyn Dodgers, 1932-34, and the Philadelphia Phillies, 1934. He led the National League in home runs during four seasons, 1926, 1927, 1928 and 1930. In 1929 and again in 1930, he led the National League in runs batted in. During the 1930 season, he knocked in 191 runs. Hack Wilson played center field for the Chicago Cubs, where he recorded over 400 putouts. By his appearance, he should never have been a professional baseball player, much less the one player who was paid more than Babe Ruth. He was slightly less than 5 feet 5 inches tall and had short, really short, legs and tiny feet. In contrast to his short legs and tiny feet, he had a massive head, probably one and a half times the size of most men. His hats had to be custom made for him. Some called him a freak. His fellow players, however, called him Hack because his massive arms and chest were the same size as the arms and chest of the world's strongest man, the popular professional wrestler, Georg Karl Julius Hockenschmidt, who wrestled under the nickname. The Russian Lion. The Russian Lion and Hack the baseball player had very similar physiques, if you only looked at them from the waist up. The Russian Lion was a world champion weightlifter and had spent years in the gym sculpting his massive set of muscles. Hack, the baseball player had gained his upper body by swinging a sledgehammer in a factory that manufactured locomotives. 48 hours a week for over four years. Hey, guy, you look like Hack the world champion wrestler. 
I saw his picture in the paper. You really look like him. Hack Wilson was a power hitter. Some called him a right-handed Babe Ruth. Like the Babe, he led the league in both home runs and in strikeouts. He came to the plate with an intention to hit the ball hard. He seldom drew a walk and he always went down swinging. Fans reported they could feel the rush of air from his massive swings. Hack Wilson was a man with a hot temper, climbing into the stands to fight offending fans, and charging into the clubhouses of opposing teams. He was also a man with an enormous appetite for alcohol. One teammate told the press that he had never seen Hack Wilson completely sober. He would take a taxi immediately after a game to a favorite speakeasy and spend the entire night at the club, and then, in the morning, take another taxi back to the stadium, ready to play a game on no sleep. In 1930, Hack Wilson was paid more than Babe Ruth. Yet in 1934, he was sacked two months into the season by the Philadelphia Phillies. His contract was picked up mid-season by the Brooklyn Dodgers, but he was released in August of that year, ending his career. After baseball, he purchased a pool hall but lacked the business acumen to make it profitable. Needing additional funding to keep the business operating, he brought in a pair of partners. However, within a year, he sold his share of the business to them. Hack Wilson fell into a dissolute lifestyle working irregularly as a bartender and as a truck driver. When World War II began, he took a job in a defense factory in Baltimore but had to quit after a year because of his poor health. Hack Wilson died at age 48 after a fall inside his apartment. Palooza Springs Audio Theatre is a creative collaboration whose purpose is to write, produce, and share original story content through webcast radio experiences.